Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value Words for Granted as a free educational resource, there are a few ways you can support the show. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. You can also support the podcast by becoming a member on Himalaya. Himalaya is a new and awesome app where you can stream your favorite podcasts and support your favorite podcasters all on the same platform. Himalaya members also get access to a chat room within the app where you can talk with other fans of the podcast and directly to me. It's pretty cool. Last but not least, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Jules for his recent contribution. All right, on to today's episode, our first episode in a new series on common nouns derived from ethnic groups. Not exactly the most economical title for a series, but I promise you, it'll be a lot of fun. As someone who came of age in the late 90s, my first encounter with the term gothic was in the form of trench coats and black lipstick in Marilyn Manson videos and Hot Topic storefronts. If you're over the age of 35 and those references mean nothing to you, we'll talk more about them at the end of the episode. Of course, in addition to the music and fashion fad that peaked in popularity while I was in middle school, you may also know the words goth and gothic from some other contexts. If you've ever perused the variety of font types available in Microsoft Word, then you've probably encountered a font called gothic. If you've ever read a book or watched a documentary or listened to a podcast about ancient Rome, then you probably recall that the Goths were the quote-unquote barbarians who sacked the Roman Empire. If you've ever read a classic vampire story, then you might have read a foreword that describes the text as Gothic fiction. And if you have an interest in European art, or Even if you don't have an interest in European art, you're probably familiar with the medieval style of European architecture called Gothic. Think Notre Dame. At a glance, the various usages of this single word goth seem totally random, but of course, there is a history of connections among them, and by the end of this episode, we'll hopefully have a clear understanding of what those connections are. Let's start at the beginning, with that ancient Germanic tribe who helped bring the Roman Empire to its knees, the Goths. However, before we get into the etymology of the word Goth, I think it will be helpful to have a bit more context about who the Goths themselves were. Remote as it may seem, the relationship between the Romans and the Goths is key to understanding how a genre of alternative rock music from the 20th century got its name. The Goths were, as already stated, an ancient Germanic people. Now, Germanic doesn't mean German in a modern sense. 
Germanic is an ethno-linguistic term that refers to a group of Northern European people who emerged during the first century CE and who shared a mutually common ancestral language, culture, and ethnic descent. The ultimate origins and migration pattern of the Germanic tribes that would call themselves Goths isn't known for certain, but by the time they entered the Roman written record during the 3rd century CE, they had settled along the Danube River, the longtime northern border of the Roman Empire. Now, technically, the first mention of the Goths is actually in a 3rd century Greek work, but even though it's written in Greek, it's still considered a Roman source because Greece had been absorbed into the Roman Empire by that point. In Greek, the Goths were called Gotoi, and in Latin, Goti. In the Roman point of view, tribes north of the Danube, not only the Goths, but all of the Germanic tribes, were barbarous and uncivilized. However, the world of Rome and the world of the barbarians particularly the world of the Goths, became increasingly intertwined by the turn of the 4th century CE. By the 4th century, Romans actually began recruiting Gothic mercenaries into their own armies. Then, laws were passed that allowed Romans and Goths to trade freely across the frontier of the Danube, furthering Roman and Gothic interactions on a day-to-day -day sort of basis. Goths had begun to use Roman money, drink Roman wine, and speak Latin in addition to their native Gothic tongue. As enemies from the east began threatening Gothic territory, Gothic refugees were actually admitted into the Roman Empire. Now, this might sound like the Romans and the Goths were becoming best friends, but far from it. The Roman prejudice against Goths would never fully fade away. In fact, the Romans treated the Goths living in their empire quite terribly. All of this is important to note because during the 16th century, over a thousand years later, the negative connotation of the word Goth would be revived throughout Western Europe. Rome's ill-treatment of the Goths would also lead to the Gothic uprising against Rome itself, resulting in barbarian control over what was much of the Western Roman Empire. So that's a brief overview of the Goths in relation to the Romans. Keep that basic story in mind, as we'll return to it again later. Now, let's talk about where the ethnonym Goth itself comes from. Ethnonym, by the way, is merely the formal term for the name of an ethnic group. Get ready for some Scandinavian geography and obscure extinct Germanic tribes. For listener Daniel from Sweden, who has requested more Scandinavian cognates and references in this podcast, today is your lucky day. If we trace the ethnonym Goth, all the way back to Proto-Indo-European, the prehistoric mother tongue from which all subsequent Indo-European languages are derived, it comes from the reconstructed root word geud, meaning to pour. More on the semantic logic of this derivation in a few minutes. That word passed into Proto-Germanic, or the first Germanic language, as gutan, which also meant to pour. More specifically, goth derives from guto, the first-person singular conjugation of the verb. In fact, Guto would have been how the ethnonym Goth was pronounced in Proto-Germanic, and indeed this is the name by which the Goths originally would have called themselves. In Old English, which of course is a very Germanic language, the Goths were known as Gotha. 
our modern form of the word goth, with the th ending, is not a development of the original English word, but of a borrowing of the Latinized form of the word that entered the language during the 17th century. Goth is not the only ethnonym to derive from this earlier form, guto. The ethnonym of the Guts, a Scandinavian Germanic tribe, historically from the Swedish island Gutland, has an identical derivation as goth. That island, Gutland, is in fact sometimes anglicized as gothland. Although the Goths and the Guts would become distinct over time, the name for both of these ancient peoples is identical in the Old Norse sagas, Gotar in Old West Norse and Gutar in Old East Norse. Given this lack of distinction in the sources and ethnonyms that share an identical etymology, it's likely that the Goths and the Guts were originally the same tribe or conglomeration of tribes. Beyond this, the Guts don't play a very large role in our story, so bringing them into the narrative may seem like gratuitous information. However, the reason I mentioned the Guts is to draw a contrast between them and the Geats, yet another ancient Germanic tribe. Unlike the Guts, who are a relatively obscure tribe outside of Swedish history, the similarly named Geats do have a wider claim to fame. Some of you may recall the Geats from Beowulf, the English language's earliest known epic poem. The Geats were the ethnic clan of the poem's eponymous hero who come from southern Sweden, which is confusing because Beowulf is an English national poem, but that's a discussion for another time. Over the course of history, it has been suggested that the Goths and the Geats, like the Goths and the Guts, were in fact originally the same people. But the modern scholarly consensus is that this isn't true, and one of the main arguments in support of this claim is etymological, which is why it's of interest to us. Unlike Goth and Gut, which you'll recall derive from Guto, the first-person singular conjugation of the Proto-Germanic verb Gutan, meaning to pour, Geet derives from Gautas, a noun meaning they who pour. Even though both ethnonyms come from the same ultimate root word, they actually come from two different forms of that root. Goth and Gut from a verb conjugation, Geet from a noun, and this implies that these two names arose independently and coincidentally, and probably do not derive from a mutually shared ancestral ethnonym. In Sweden, there's a river called Guta Alwi near the earliest settlement of the Geats, and it's possible that the Geats took their name from that river. A river flows, and by extension pours, hence the possible derivation of their ethnonym from Gutan. But what's the semantic logic behind the names Goth and Gut? Where does their watery ethnonym come from? There's no clear answer, though some etymologists speculate that the name has nothing to do with water at all. Rather, it means those who pour their seed. We're all adults here, and we know what that means. It has also been suggested that this might be a reference to migration. The Goths poured into new lands. Surprisingly, in all the literature that has been written about the Goths over the centuries, there hasn't been a whole lot of ink spilled trying to explain the semantics of their name. Okay, now let's move our story forward to the 16th century. When Renaissance intellectuals in Western Europe looked back at the age that preceded their own, they perceived a dark age. 
their reinvigorated interest in classical Greco-Roman arts was a reaction against this very dark age, with 5th century BC Athens and 1st century Rome idealized and fetishized as the peaks of civilization. Although the actual causes behind the fall of Rome are multitudinous and complex, it was easy for men of the Renaissance to point fingers at an obvious culprit. The barbarians sacked Rome, the barbarians caused the end of civilization, and the barbarians ushered in the Dark Ages. Those quote-unquote barbarians, as we now know, were by and large the Goths. And so, approximately a millennium after the fall of Rome, that Roman prejudice against the Goths was revived. In medieval Latin, and by extension in the Romance languages and eventually in English, Goth became a generic and common term of disparagement. If something was Gothic, it was crude, rude, and uncivilized. From the point of view of Renaissance intellectuals, art and architecture from the Dark Ages was Gothic. Of course, I can't show you the visuals in podcast format, but Gothic architecture is defined by tall, spiky spires, ornate and geometric shapes, flying buttresses, and gargoyles. In a broad oversimplification, Gothic art is characterized by Christian allegory and symbolism, whereas classical Roman art is characterized by realism and proportion. So what this means is that the Goths are not responsible for Gothic art. Originally, Gothic art was known as opus francigenum, which in Latin literally meant work of the Franks, or Frankish work, or French work. The first usage of the word Gothic in reference to art is in a 15th century letter from none other than Raphael, yes, that Raphael, to Pope Leo X. For those who might not know, the Franks were another Germanic tribe who came to power in Western Europe a bit after the Goths, and they're the ones who gave their name to the modern country of France. As it turns out, the Gothic aesthetic originated in France in roughly the 12th century. It would be more historically accurate if Gothic art and architecture were designated as French, or at the very least Frankish, but the anachronistic misnomer of Gothic has made its mark on posterity. It's also possible that the name was founded on genuine historical ignorance. The Italian writer Giorgio Vasari writes in his Lives of the Artists that the Goths destroyed the buildings of classical Rome and began erecting new buildings in the style now known as Gothic. But in reality, there was an 8th century long gap between the Goths' sack of Rome and the emergence of Opus Francigenum, which today we know as Gothic architecture. During this same century, a writing style called Black Script Letter came to be known pejoratively as Gothic Script. Like Gothic art and architecture, A. Gothic Script had nothing to do with the historical Goths, B. The term Gothic was applied by Renaissance intellectuals to the script as an insult, and C. Gothic Script existed for centuries before it came to be known as Gothic. By the 15th century, the so-called Gothic script had a number of variations, but in general, they all looked something akin to the iconic font used in the modern New York Times nameplate. Those who derided the Gothic script deemed it ugly and barbaric, favoring an older and more easily legible script known in Latin as Litera Antiqua. However, there's an ironic twist here. 
Renaissance intellectuals thought that the Litera Antiqua script was used by the ancient Romans, but as it turns out, Litera Antiqua, or as it is known today, Carolingian Minuscule, was a product of the Carolingian dynasty during the reign of Charlemagne. Though technically crowned as a Roman emperor, Charlemagne was ethnically a Frank, which, according to the generic viewpoint of the Renaissance, would have made him a barbarian. Not exactly a Goth, but a barbarian nonetheless. This has an even deeper level of irony, as the black letter script that came to be known as Gothic was a direct evolution out of the tradition of Carolingian minuscule. In 1764, the English writer Horace Walpole published a novel called The Castle of Otranto. In The Castle of Otranto's second printing, Walpole added the subtitle A Gothic Story, and in doing so, he christened a new macabre literary genre and reinvented that ancient word goth yet again. Gothic literature as we know it is defined by things like horror, dread, ghosts, and superstition, and certainly, Walpole's pioneering work contains all of these familiar elements. But what in Walpole's mind made The Castle of Otranto a Gothic story? How did he draw a connection between the Renaissance sense of Gothic and the macabre? Well, on a superficial level, the plot of his novel takes place in a medieval Gothic castle, and that setting was replicated in many subsequent works of Gothic literature. So, there's that. However, I think we can more deeply understand the implications of the word Gothic in Gothic literature by further considering some of the intellectual movements in 18th century Europe. By Walpole's time, the Renaissance had given way to the Enlightenment, an intellectual movement characterized by scientific reason and rationality. As I'm sure many of you know, the Romantic movement of the 18th and 19th centuries was a reaction against the Enlightenment's worship of pure reason. Romantic art, literature, and music embraced emotion and glorified nature. The Romantics didn't look back to classical Rome and Greece for inspiration, but to the medieval era. Although it was devoutly Christian, the medieval era, which was indeed initiated by the geopolitical ascension of the Goths, was still filled with lingering pagan superstitions. Rural locales outside of the cities particularly forests, were considered to be the homes of demons, fairies, and other unseen forces, and these unknowable mysteries inspired the imaginations of romantics in a way that cold, calculating reason could not. According to most literary scholars, Gothic fiction is both a subgenre and a forerunner of romantic literature. Today, when we think of Gothic literature, and by extension the word Gothic in general, we think spooky. We think dark, and that's because these staple characteristics of the genre, ancestral curses, supernatural encounters, inhuman monsters, are inherently spooky and dark. But when we consider the characteristics of Gothic literature as a reaction against the hyper-rationality of the Enlightenment, that spooky Gothic sensibility emerges as an aesthetic ideology meant to evoke deep-seated emotions and mysteries of human experience more than a vehicle for cheap thrills. From this point of view, Gothic literature is like the darker, older sibling of the traditional strain of Romantic literature more familiar to us. 
By the 20th century, the reactionary implications of Gothic literature's aesthetic was forgotten to time, leaving behind an aesthetic that, at face value, seemed merely dark and spooky. In 1967, music critic John Stickney met Jim Morrison, singer from The Doors, in a dark wine cellar, and he described it as, quote, the perfect room to honor the Gothic rock of The Doors, end quote. What he meant by gothic was that The Doors' music was darker than that of their rock and roll contemporaries. While John Lennon was singing All You Need Is Love, Jim Morrison was retelling the story of Oedipus's incest and patricide. So, yeah, The Doors, according to the written record, are the first band whose music was described as goth rock. That same year, the word was also applied to The Velvet Underground. Now, if you're a music fan like me, Neither of these bands fits the bill of goth rock, but at this early point in the term's usage, goth rock didn't have a fixed meaning or aesthetic attached to the label. Goth and gothic simply meant dark. By the late 1970s and 80s, bands like Bauhaus, The Cure, Killing Joke, and many others developed a musical style that came to sound like goth rock. Minor chords, lots of reverb, dark timbres, dissonant melodies, etc. By extension, out of this musical style emerged a fashion trend of black clothing and makeup, exotic antiquated jewelry, and morbid iconography. Which brings us back to where we began. In the early 2000s, Hot Topic was the one-stop shop for all things goth. Music, clothes, accessories, toys, you name it. And that's where I first became acquainted with the term. I didn't know it then, and quite frankly, I only fully understand it now, but the gothic subculture of the 20th century has unintentionally carried forth the name of an ancient Germanic tribe, a Renaissance insult, and a literary style into our current millennium. Okay. If you love the show, again, check out the bonus content I'm offering through the Himalaya app. I'd love to chat with you there. If you can't become a member, I still encourage you to check out Himalaya because it's definitely one of the coolest podcasting apps out there right now. If you prefer to get the bonus content through Patreon, that works too. I also encourage you to leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player you use because those really help the show grow and they give me feedback about how I can make the show better. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted, and you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll catch up with you next time here at Words for Granted. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.